Hi guys, welcome back to Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Charity. So today we're going to recap a little bit about last week and we're going to move on and we're talking about Samuel's life um, and we're going to get into Saul and then eventually we're going to circle around and cover the uh, grudge match between the Hebrews or the Israelites and the Amalekites again. So it's this running theme back and forth. So last time we talked, um, Eli had and his sons had died. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured and then later returned. And now we see Samuel. He's rallying all the people back to God. So he kind of calls them all back to Mizpah, which is a historically significant place for them. And he basically tells everybody, look, are you guys ready to do it God's way? So he tells them, you need to get rid of Baal and Asherah, which these are gods that they borrowed and and idols and practices that they borrowed from the regions around them. And it's contrary to what their morality is and what their beliefs are. So Samuel calls everybody back to put away those things and basically, you know, be tell God you're sorry and come back to him. So while they're there, they're sacrificing and they're worshiping God. And in the middle of all this, the Philistines come at them again. And so they're praying and they're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And it's and this is out of 1 Samuel, by the way, if you want to go and check my work, um, which there's always great stuff in there that even I don't cover. I don't think anybody can cover it all at once. Um, but they it says that God spoke in a in a loud, thundering voice, and it put all the Philistines into confusion. Um, and this kind of gives the Israelites a reprieve for the from the Philistines for a while. They go away confused and they leave them alone. They leave the Israelites alone for a while. And this sets Samuel up to be the judge over Israel. So he's kind of the guy that's like uniting and keeping together these 12 tribes. So there's kind of these 12 factions, kind of, I guess, sort of like the districts of the Hunger Games, um, but way less apocalyptic, I think. Um, and so what he does is he ends up going to each like uh, tribe. He hits like a, he has like a circuit, kind of like our uh, court system does. How we have a how we have circuit court judges, and but he's the one, the guy for all of them. And he goes to each town and he hears disputes. So there's local disputes that people handle. And when it gets so big that the people there can't handle it, they bring it to Samuel. And he decides on their their quarrels or their disputes with one another, whether it's over land, marriage, families. Um, he handles all of it. And he did this for some time. And his sons grew up under his apprenticeship, like most people, um, a lot of cultures have that where families carry traditions and, and, uh, trades or jobs. So as his sons grew older and he was getting more to what we would say retirement age, um, he was getting to where he couldn't continue to do it. He appointed his sons as judges over Israel. But the issue is, 
is that Samuel's sons, it says, were not like Samuel. They were greedy and they were corruptible. They took bribes. And because they took bribes, it corrupted the justice system that they had. Now, I think the justice system was great, uh, minus corrupt people carrying it out. That's, you know, it does rely on people having integrity. And the people of Israel began to be kind of insecure. They kind of started looking around at the people around them, the different uh, nations around them, and they saw that they had kings. And they rejected Samuel, and they rejected Samuel's sons. Um, and they came to him and said, like, basically, you know, we want the new, like, you know, everybody is getting new devices, whether it's a new phone or computer or um, or, you know, sometimes we see people with new, there's a new car that comes out and, you know, or in high school, it's clothing and everybody has to have the thing that's in style and wanting to fit in. The Israelites come to Samuel and basically say, Hey, your kids aren't up to snuff, which may have been true. Um, but rather than saying, can we raise up other judges? They said, we want a king like everybody else. We want to look like everybody else. Now, God had set aside the Israelites or the Hebrews to be a different people, to be unique. And now they're wanting to fit in. So they, Samuel, though, takes a request before God rather than like taking it personal. I mean, he did, but letting his feelings run, he took it to God and said, God, well, this is the people's request. What do you say? And God told Samuel, he said, you know, don't take it personal. He said, this isn't about you. This is about them rejecting me. And so in their rejection, he said, you can tell them to go ahead and put in their request, but you have to solemnly warn them. And sometimes, you know, when we give people news, they hear what they want to hear, or if they're negative, they'll take it to the most extreme or sarcastically negative perspective. In this case, they took it, it seems like the most optimistic way possible. Um, you know, sometimes like when people sign up for a credit card or a car loan or house loan, a lot of times they don't read the fine print or even like when we sign up for our software, you know, you want to use an app. A lot of people go, yeah, 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 yeah. But they don't look at like the privacy policy or how their data is being used. Um, they just want the thing. And, um, and I don't think anybody reads all of their agreements, their user agreements. So that's kind of what the children of Israel did. They just signed on for that app that they wanted. And, um, but the warning that Samuel gave them was he said, you know, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a king or God's going to give you a king, but because he's your king, he's totally going to be entitled to draft your guys, your sons. He's going to take them. Some will be captains and generals, but some are going to be farmers and they're going to farm and labor for him, or they're going to make weapons or build. They're going to be car manufacturers or tank manufacturers. Back then it was chariots, but kind of the equivalent. 
And he said, and then he's going to take your daughters and he's going to make them maids and cooks and they're going to have to bake and do make perfumes. And he's going to take the best farms and orchards and olive groves that you have. And guess what? You're going to have to tithe to him and he's going to reward his people around him with your stuff, with your goods. And then he's going to take like the best of your servants and cattle and donkeys and he'll use them for what he feels he wants to instead of you getting to keep it. And at some point there will come a day where you'll be a slave to him and you'll beg God to help you, but God's not going to hear you. And even so, you know, even just like when people flip through that privacy policy or that data policy on their on their new downloaded app that they really want to use, um, they just kind of scan through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like, "Yep, okay." God said, "Yes, all right, all right. That's fine. We don't care what the price is. Just, just that's give it to us." So that's what God made. So, so we're gonna fast forward. It kind of flips over, and we go over to Saul. So Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. His dad name, dad's name is Kish. And Saul is this very tall and handsome guy. Everything that the Israelites think a king should look like, that is Saul. And, you know, there's always trade-offs in life. And we'll get into those, some of those as well later on. But he basically is chosen in a lot of ways for his appearance. So when we meet Saul, Saul is out looking for some lost donkeys. His dad had some donkeys that had gotten away. And so Saul and a servant go, and they look through the hill country of Ephraim and all through ben- through the land of Benjamin. And they finally go up to like Zuf. And they finally, after a couple of days of this, Saul says to the servant, he's like, you know, we should probably just go home. At this point, my dad is probably more worried about us than the donkeys. And the servant's like, okay, but since we're here, um, there's this guy who's a prophet. And I bet if we asked him, he could probably tell us where the donkeys are. And Saul said, well, we could, but I don't even have anything to offer this guy. We ate all of our food. I don't really have any money. And the servant says, well, I got a small silver piece. We could give it to him and see. And so as they're wandering into town, they come across these ladies. You know, they're just outside getting water for the evening. And most of these cities had gates around them to protect them. And so as they pass by, they say, hey, we heard there's a prophet here. Do you know where he's at? And they said, oh, yeah, if you go up, his house is right by the gate. But you got to hurry and catch him because they're about to have a a worship service and people are going to eat. So you need to go there because they won't start before he blesses the food. So they get on their way. And as they go, as they're going in the gate, Samuel's coming out of the gate and they happen to meet him and they say, hey, by chance, do you know where the prophet's house is? And he's like, yeah, you know, um, he goes, I'm, I'm the prophet. And he said, I've been waiting for you. So check this out. The day before God told him, told Samuel, 
I'm going to send you this guy from the land of Benjamin. And this is the guy that you're going to anoint as king. So when he meets him, he he's like, yeah, I'm the guy. And he goes, I was just heading up uh, to go worship. But he says, what I'd like is for you to just go on ahead with me, you know, go, go ahead up there. And he says, we'll eat there together and in the morning. I'm going to tell you everything you wanted to know, and then I'll send you on your way. Oh, and by the way, don't even worry about those donkeys. Um, they were, that were lost three days ago because they were found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of Israel's hopes. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being told that? It was like, that was not even what Samuel was going to, or Saul was going to ask Samuel. And here he tells him, he's like something totally out of left field. You're a pretty awesome guy. You're the focus of all of Israel. And oh, by the way, side note, don't worry about the donkeys. <laughs> so Saul responds. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, because Benjamin at this time was one of the smallest tribes. So very insignificant. And so Saul says, like, how could that even be? Like, we're the most minuscule people of Israel. Like, why would God even want anything with us? So they go ahead and go up to eat. And when they get there, Samuel sets Saul at the head of the table, the most honored place, and gives him the best cut. And he said, you know, the like, Saul seems kind of like, humble and resistant. He's like, ah, you know, out of place. Like, I don't even know that I'm supposed to be here. But Samuel reassures him. He's like, I already planned this before you even came. Like, I knew you'd be coming, which is crazy because I'm sure Saul was like, I didn't even know it was coming. (laughs) So they have dinner. He is the most honored person at, at the table. And he goes back home with Samuel for the evening, Saul does, and they sleep on the rooftop. And the next morning, uh, Samuel gets Saul up and he tells him, okay, so check this out. They walk down a little ways and he sends, he says, okay, he's like, it's time for you to get going. And he sends the servant ahead so he can speak to Saul privately. And when he does, when the servant's kind of out of, out of sight, he takes out this flask of olive oil and he anoints him as king. And he says, you are all of these neat things are going to happen. On your way back, you're going to go past Rachel's tombs and you're going to be told that the donkeys are found and your dad's worried about you. And then he says, when you go to the Oak of Tabor, there's going to be three dudes going to Bethel and they're going there to worship. One's got three goats one has three loaves, and the last guy has this wineskin. And they're going to offer you two loaves. You need to accept them. So, he, you know, he's like, okay. I mean, this is like so specific. Then he says, when you go to Gibeah, as you're heading back, there's going to be a band of prophets there. One's going to have a harp, one's going to have a tambourine, one's going to be playing a flute, and one's going to be playing a lyre. And he's like, you need to, you're going to worship with these guys and they're going to prophesy to you. And then you're going to prophesy and the spirit of the Lord is going to come on you. And then he says, then when you go to Gilgal, you, where I'm going to meet you in seven days to sacrifice, uh, you'll get more instructions. 
So as he turns to leave, and he says, God's going to give you a new heart. And then as he turns to leave, he goes and God gives him a new heart, which is so interesting. And so as he's on his way home, he ends up meeting his uncle. And his uncle's like, hey, where you been? You know, we've been worried about you. Your dad found the donkeys. So that gets confirmed. You know, he he goes and meets up with the guys that were uh, that offered him bread. And then as he heads and he meets the prophets, the Spirit of God comes on to Saul, this nobody from Benjamin, and he begins to prophesy, which, you know, shows you God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. But to lend more to the credibility of that, all the people that knew Saul, they're like, the, the phrase, can even Saul be a prophet, <laughs> was this kind of, who this phrase that they used, because Saul was a nobody. They're like, who is this Benjaminite guy that's prophesying? And it's because God had changed his heart and God had moved on him in that way. So he gets anointed. And when he when this happens, when Sa- when Samuel comes to meet him on those seven days, he basically announces to the whole uh, land of Israel. They call all the the elders, and they they cast lots. They kind of it's like rolling dice, I guess, and it selects down by like what tribe it'll be from. So the tribe of Benjamin is selected, and then it goes all the way down by by clans in the Benjamin tribe, and it picks his dad's clan, and then it picks Saul. Now, what's so funny is here is this very tall, striking, handsome guy that everybody thinks looks kingly, and when he is chosen by lot, um, by casting lots, um, they go looking for Saul, and they can't find him. He's nowhere to be found. And God has to tell Samuel where he's at. He said, he's hiding in the luggage. So here he is. You can see the insecurity in his heart. So here on the outside, he looks super great and mighty and strong. But we already see on the inside, there's this insecurity. This, you know, being troubled about what things look like. And so they had to get him and they anointed him. And everybody thought this was great you know, and shortly into his kingdom, it's like the first test that they get um, for being king is instantly the Ammonites begin to make trouble. So here's another clan next to them. And what's so interesting about this, this story sounds like, I don't know if anybody has ever seen Secondhand Lions, and there's these really kind of funny uh, almost over-exaggerated stories about the McCann brothers when they were young and they go on these uh, crazy adventures in the Middle East and through Africa and these kinds of things. And um, this is almost one of those kind of stories. So the way this opens up, this is almost like a proving ground to see if the people will follow Saul as a king. You know, because if there's no respect for the authority and the people don't follow, you're, there's no one to lead. So it's only like a month into um, Saul being king. And this guy, his name is King Nahash of Ammon, of Ammon. 
he brings an army against this small town. Uh, it's called J- uh, Jabesh Galid. And he brings them, he comes up to the Israelites and basically he's going to capture them and make them his slaves. And they said, the Israelites said, can we make a peace treaty? Like, we don't want to fight you. We're just trying to live here and raise our families. And the king was such a nasty guy. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you our slaves and you can still live here on one condition. You let us gouge out everyone's right eye. Like, who thinks of that? We're just going to poke out your eye. It's like so humiliating. And I don't know, I think it's mean. But he, so they said, I'll tell you what, give us seven days and we'll send a message across our kingdom. And if nobody comes to rescue us, then fine. You could poke our right eye out. We'll be your slaves. I can't imagine what a horrible position to be in. So they send a message and it gets to uh, Saul and Saul is actually, when the message arrives in town, it says he was actually out plowing his field with his oxen. And when he comes in and he hears everybody crying, he's like, what is going on? And they explain to him the message from uh, the people down in Jabesh and instantly it says the spirit of God came powerful, powerfully on Saul and he became very angry. So there's this righteous indignation. Like how can these people come against our own people? And it says he took two of his ox and he cut them into pieces and he sent messengers to carry this, what happened to the ox and to tell everyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle that, that God would like, you know, basically that's what he was going to do to them. And so all the people came in together as one nation. They all like these tribes all became unified over, uh, you know, one common enemy. And so he mobilized all the people and there were about 300,000 men from, from Israel and 30,000 from Judah. So they all mobilize together and they send a message back and, and they are, they go to rescue the people of Jabesh and this unifies the people and it defends them. So this is like the first like solidifying kind of move. Now, after this, Samuel kind of does like a farewell address and basically tells people, you know, you need to do what God tells you to do. Like basically you're going to follow Saul because this is what you asked for. And he gives Saul this scroll of like all of these laws. And Samuel does something so beautifully that a lot of people have a hard time with, which is he lets go of what his role was as the leader. And he very graciously passes that part of leadership to Saul. And he gives him these rules and he says, read these laws, follow these laws, read them every day, and you'll be a good king. And there are certain things that Samuel doesn't give up, though, in his farewell address, because he's still the priest. So he's now just kind of separating the jobs. He's parsing out the jobs. So you have the leadership side of it, and that kind of moves some of the judging 
between people, you know, trying to make peace between people, settling disputes, that's going to go over to the king side of things. But the priestly duties are still with Samuel. So he kind of divides that up and kind of gently goes into retirement and helps um, people unite around Saul. He does a really good job of this. So I'm not going to totally get into all of the things that Saul does, but let's just say most of the time when Saul messes up, he's somebody who is very uh, appearance-based. And so when he gets in a mess, he starts looking at the people around him, worried that they're not going to follow him as a king or they're going to usurp him. So major, major insecurity. Um, you know, we've all, there's, there's people that look good all the time on the outside, but really like on the inside, they do a lot of that stuff to, to make the outside look good. So people don't know how like insecure they are. And that's like kind of, Saul's thing, even when he was given a new heart. So we're going to kind of skip through some of the battles they had, but what, and I'm going to go to the Amalekite conflict because we had talked about in previous episodes with Haman having issues um, with Mordecai, who was an Israelite. So this will we'll recap kind of where this grudge began for Haman uh, against Mordecai, who is an Israelite, and Haman being an Amalekite, ergo a descendant of Agag, more specifically. So I've enjoyed hanging out with you guys. Hopefully it's been the same for you. Um, I look forward to visiting with you again next week. Have a blessed day.